Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. So we have two places to read the Bible. The first will be Acts chapter 17, 24 to 25, and 1 Corinthians 12, 21 to 27. So I'll be reading from Acts 17, 24 to 25 first. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians now. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body seem to be weaker, are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there are, so there should be, sorry, no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. With it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for your word, and we do thank you that you speak to us through it. And this morning, Lord, as we gather, uh, may you settle our hearts and, and give us ears to hear and, and hearts to listen to, to your word, to be convicted of it. May your spirit work in us so that we can uh, consider what it looks like to be a, a people made by you, created by you, to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Uh, I've been watching this uh, new documentary on Netflix. It's called Live to 100, Secrets of the Blue Zone. Has anyone come across it yet? Yeah, a few people in the room. Um, I find it quite interesting. I mean, who, who doesn't want to live to 100? Well, I don't want to live to 100. But it's pretty interesting thinking about people living to 100. And the Blue Zones are regions around the world where there are centenar- centenarians, basically people that live to 100. That's what they're called. Now, the first episode is based in Japan, in Okinawa. That's why there are uh, Japanese women in the screenshot here. Uh, And it's quite interesting to hear what their secret to longevity is. Uh, I think for many of us, if I were to ask you, what do you think is the secret to longevity, to long life? The answer, the simple answers usually are diet, right? Eating well and exercise, right? We'd all assume, or hopefully you guys would have thought that, that Eating healthy and exercise are the secrets to living longer, taking care of your health, a good balanced diet, and exercise. I saw this post on Facebook the other day, actually. I came across it. It said, if you're over, it's a meme, if you're over 40, it's more impressive to be fit and healthy than to have a nice car these days. Uh, and that's so true. I have neither of those yet. But eating healthy and exercise, it'd be, you know, that's something we, it's a mark, you know, we want to be fit and healthy these days. And so we'd be right to guess that that's in the documentary. They do talk about being uh, healthy and exercising. That's in the first episode. Uh, it spoke about how, um, especially in Okinawa, the, the diet, it's, it's really incredible, actually. So they eat less meat. They, their diet's made up of vegetables and tofu and, and less processed foods like that we have in the West. Um, and you watch them advocating exercise. They do a lot of gardening, and that's just physical activity, diet and exercise. But what else do we discover in these regions where these centenarians, centenary, it's a really hard word to say, centenarians, uh, is that there's a couple of other important things that you often wouldn't 
really put high on your list uh, of priorities that you wouldn't even consider. One of them is your purpose to life. Why are you living? You wouldn't think that that's a, a good reason to live to 100. You need a purpose. Well, it is. You need a purpose to get out of bed while you live. Uh, we looked at that last week, didn't we? So that's a, a good thing about being human is, you know, God gives us purpose to live. What are you living for? But what I found most interesting in the first episode is, um, is what we often neglect. The documentary clearly outlined for the viewer that there's a need for community. There's a need for friendships. You see, in the West, loneliness is an epidemic. And Western individualism tells us we don't need others. We can do it on our own. And research is coming out, though, that loneliness and social isolation is taking years off people's lives. They have less reason to live when they're lonely. These uh, Okinawans, these Japanese, they live in villages and towns where they can walk to each other's homes. They can go on walks together. They can, uh, they can um, hang out together and dance together and sing together, laugh and play games. And it's really beautiful. They form these so support groups, these social groups, uh, where they also pull together their money. So if anyone's sick, goes to the hospital, they can help each other out with their funds. It's really special. It's really beautiful. A community of people supporting one another. It's one of the secrets to long life. The point is, I think, for us is, well, you guys all need to move closer to Sunnybank. You know, like that's the answer. We can all like have our own little village. Here. No, that's not the answer. That's not what I'm trying to say. But... It's, it's, it's special, isn't it, when there's a, a group of people connected, supporting one another in community. More importantly for us as Christians, what do we see is that what God has done in humanity is that he's wired into us something that's essential, that we need relationships. It's essential as Christians as well, when we think about how we're built, how we're made to flourish in our humanity is to realize that healthy friendships and community is actually a need in our life. Would you value it? Do you value it? And would you value it as high as eating well and exercise? Today, I want us to see that we have a God who has no needs. And when we understand that, when we understand who He is, we also can understand us, ourselves, that we've been created finite, human, and we have needs, many needs. And while I could talk about eating well and exercise, the obvious ones like sleep as well, I want us to discover how God created us as humans who have relational needs. We need each other. We need community. Let me start off with God, though. We read in Acts 17, 24 to 25, God is self-sufficient. I'll read it again. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples built by human hands, and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Last week, we looked at how God is the self-existent creator, uncreated, always existed through him, uh, as this passage tells us, everything else has life in it, as has life, not, not like as in him, sorry. Now, for him to be the uncreated creator, self-existent, it also means he's self-sufficient. Uh, he uh, himself has no needs. Like it says there, he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. He in himself, uh, we call him the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is self-sufficient. Last week, the word I introduced to you guys that you'll never use again in your life is the word aseity, self-existent, self-sufficient. He's the uncreated creator in himself. Is en there's a, he's enough. And, and this passage tells us that. He created everything in our world. He doesn't need anything. He's not dependent on us. He creates and sustains creation freely and entirely uh, independent. Last week, I, I talked to, to you as well about a guy called A.W. Tozer. I think this is the third week I'm mentioning him. Uh, he's, a, he's an author from the early 1900s. He writes, writes this. I'm going to read it. It's a long quote. 
to admit the existence of a need in God is to admit incompleteness in the divine being. Need is a creature word and cannot be spoken of the creator. God has a voluntary relation to everything he has made, but he has no necessary relation to anything outside of himself. His interest in his creatures arises from his sovereign good pleasure, not from any need uh, those creatures can supply, nor from any completeness they can bring to him who is complete in himself. You get what he's saying there? This God, he never loses strength. He never gets hungry or thirsty. He's above creation. We can't use creature words on a creator God. And the reason why this needs to be said is that sometimes we might hear or, or be led to believe that God created us, human beings. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but he created us because he needed love. He needed relationships, companionships. I don't know if you ever heard that before, but it might sound good and feel good, but it's just not true. As if the creation of humanity is like a, a romantic drama, or, you know, we complete God, you complete me. No, he didn't. He didn't create us for that reason. We don't com- he did create us, and it was good. He created us, and he loves us. That's true. But he doesn't need us. If he needed us or needed anything, then that wouldn't be a God we should want to worship. It'd be an incomplete God who would be swayed and controlled by those needs. Think about this uh, in, 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 our, in our human terms, right? Our needs influence our decisions, don't they? Our needs, like the, the other day, my, my petrol light came on. <laughs> and when your petrol light comes on, you know, oh, I need to get petrol. And I'm going down to the petrol station, and the petrol station now, you know how much petrol costs? It's like $2 a litre. Now, that might sound normal, but that's, that's a lot of money, $2 a litre, right? And I had no choice now. I needed petrol. I'm controlled by my needs. And the gas station, they can do whatever they want. They can put the price up. We all need petrol. You go to the movies, you want popcorn? Mm, it's 10 bucks for a popcorn. I really want popcorn. I really need popcorn. So I'm going to pay. T- it's ridiculous. They control. They control you. They control you. People control you. What world do we pay that amount for popcorn? Some people do, right? And, and so this is, can you see it? You want to propose to your girlfriend? What do you do? You go out and you buy a diamond ring. Why do we do that? Because in the 1930s, De Beers Diamond companies they said diamonds are forever. If you don't love your girlfriend forever, then, well, if you don't buy them a diamond ring, you don't love them forever. Like, now everyone's buying diamond rings. Like, it's, see how our needs control us? The marketing agencies, they all know it. Think about what you do each day. Aren't our schedules controlled by our needs from what we eat to sleep to work and earning an income? The people we spend time with? If we have needs and those needs can do, they do, can and do influence our decisions and actions. It means there's also a potential, right, that we can be controlled. We can be coerced. We can be manipulated, even blackmailed when we lack something we desperately need or at least think we need. But isn't it good news that God doesn't have needs? You can't tempt God. He's not someone who can be controlled or manipulated for your own gain or mine. Aren't you glad for that? He has no need of us. He's self-sufficient. Yet in love, he created us. He gladly made us, and it was his pleasure to do that. So it goes without saying, we aren't God. We're we're, we're finite. We're humans. We have needs. That's the second thing I want us to understand today. Every single day, we have needs from physical hunger to the clean air we breathe to having money in our bank account to pay for food. This is what it means to be human. 
We depend on nature around us, the rain, the crops, the animals and insects. We depend on the person who stocks the shelves at the supermarket, the person in the factory overseas making our shoes, down to the, even in our bodies, the white blood cells and antibodies that fight infections. Yet the lie in our culture today says you can be self-sufficient and independent without needs. Too often you hear this sort of narrative that to be needy is a flaw in our design, something to be conquered or concealed. Autonomy, independence, self-sufficiency, that's the goal. That's the narrative. And we deny ourselves of sleep and we work late thinking, I don't need sleep, I can sleep when I die. We deny ourselves of medicine, going to the doctors, because we think, oh, our bodies are strong enough without it. We don't need that. We think we don't need rehab or therapy when we have addictions or mental health issues because we don't want to appear weak. We want to show we're, we're, we're in control. We, in this, in, in the, in the, really, the wealthy, affluent West, right, we're so desensitized because we know we can just throw money at, at meeting those needs numb ourselves, be believing the lie, we're self-sufficient and in control, ultimately forgetting how human and finite we actually are, that we have needs. And you can see the idolatry there, can't you? The self-worship, even the arrogance. We're not God. We have limits. We have needs. And that's okay. That's good. It's good because they actually point us to our good and generous God, who is self-sufficient and can meet our deepest needs. Reflect on your heart for a moment. What signs reveal to you that you're living that lie that we can be self-sufficient? The obvious one, and I hope uh, for the Christian in the room at least, the obvious one is this, the obvious sign of, of prayerlessness. We aren't praying to God about it at times. When there is trouble, what is the first thing you do? You try to figure it out on your own. Problem solve. We worry about it, then we stress about it, we get anxious about it, as if no one can help and no one understands us. Maybe we just don't think God cares or God is powerless in the face of our issue. Or you simply just don't turn to God because you don't want to surrender control because you like control. And we all do. God invites us to come to Him in prayer, to ask for help. He invites us to come in humble surrender. There's forgiveness for our sin, there's grace and love, and there's provision that comes from His hand. Don't be afraid to come to God in our needs, with our needs, in our neediness. I mean, if you go to the Psalms in the Bible, it's all about that. Being honest about ourselves and knowing we're not God and we can cry out to Him as our God. But you know what? Our needs also point us to the gift that we have in one another, who God has provided for us. When we can accept that we're human, that we aren't God, nor are we self-sufficient, it allows us to be vulnerable, doesn't it? It allows us to be authentic about our weaknesses. There's no shame. We don't have to put up a front or a facade with one another. I came across um, something on my Facebook as well, this post that was written by uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, the celebrity, if you guys know him, he's a famous actor. Uh, he's about to release a book called Be Useful. It's his own book, a biography, I think, uh, and he had to record it as an audio book. And he shared quite vulnerably and honestly that he's dyslexic. I didn't, I didn't know that. And in his post, he says that uh, he couldn't have completed this task without a team of people helping him. And he thanks them. And right at the end, he says... All of us need help. None of us are self-made. None of us are self-made. Within that one post, he admits vulnerability, his weakness, and also that he's a man who needs help. Yeah, this strong, strong man, Arnold Schwarzenegger, this celebrity, this famous guy, he needs help. No one can do it alone. No one is self-made. I love that. And we need to hear that message. 
we need to hear this message because what has happened in this generation is that this, this message of being self-made, striving for independence and self-sufficiency, at the same time, what we're hearing at the same time is a record high numbers of loneliness in the West. That can't be coincidental. And a few years ago, the UK, they, they started a department, a government department to help deal with loneliness over there. In the US, it's re being reported that loneliness, it's an epidemic with up to 60% of the population reporting that they feel lonely. In Australia, KPMG did a, did a survey, a report on this. Uh, I got on the next slide. This is some of their findings. Loneliness is experienced by more than one quarter of Australians, and most Australians will experience loneliness in their lifetime. 37% of young people are lonely. Loneliness is a silent killer. Uh, lonely, um, lonely people have a 26% increase risk of death. So what is, what is coinciding with the loneliness epidemic is, is this idea of social isolation as well. People just aren't feeling lonely. They're not connecting. They're isolating themselves from others. They're at home, probably. They're probably connecting online, you know, text messages, social media, but they're socially isolated. And there's, there's so much research. You go online, there's so much research and articles been, being written about this. When we look at loneliness and social isolation, it actually decreases our life expectancy. Oh, this is a huge concern. And I'm sharing this because all this is showing us something, isn't it? We're finite. We need human connection. We have needs. And God, God designed us for relationships. It's in the Bible. Go back to Genesis in the beginning of our Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. When after he created Adam, the first man, God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. Suitable for him. You see, everything he created in Genesis 1 finished Remember in Genesis 1, he created the world, created the skies, created the heavens, created the land, created animals, all that stuff. Every time he finished creating, he said, this is good. All that he saw, all that he made, and it was good. We go into chapter 2, what's not good? For man to be alone. Remember, chapter 2 came before chapter 3. Chapter 3 is when sin entered our world, when things got disrupted and twisted. See, loneliness wasn't a result of the fall. It was already there. To be alone isn't a good thing. For us as hum human beings, God wired into us a nature that, does, that, that needs relationships. So he didn't create just one man. He created man and woman because it wasn't good for him to be alone. And for us as Christians, what we read in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 12 that we read earlier, that Isaac read for us, we hear this very idea, don't we? God made us to be, I'll read it in a second. God made us to be part, uh, part of the body of believers. We're not saved as individual Christians. We're not told to figure it out on our own. The Christian life isn't in self-isolation, to be self-sufficient. God knows our humanity. He designed it, and he designed in his people to be saved to Christ. There's a vertical relationship there and a horizontal one, to save, be saved into a community, a church, to be connected, to need one another and be needed as well. And so we read this, right, in, in 1 Corinthians 12. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. I'll skip a few verses. God has put the body together, giving greater honor, to, greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. I'm not going to unpack all of that, but what, what it's saying is everyone here makes up the body of Christ, which is the church. Everyone here is indispensable. 
we should have equal concern for one another. The eye needs the hand, the head needs the feet. You know, we're all one whole together. And now, it, admittedly, this is a difficult idea to grasp, being in the body of Christ. This is hard to grasp unless you understand who Jesus is, unless you understand the gospel. Jesus, the Son of God, came to this world as a human. This all-sufficient God limited himself to a human body that needed rest, needed food, needed friends. But this same Jesus also met the needs of others. He fed the 5,000. I don't know if you know that story, the, the, the loaves and the fish. He restored health to the sick and the lame. He restored dignity to the downtrodden and the rejected. He even brought the dead back to life. This is the Son of God who came to serve. But all this is to point the people in his time and to us as well, to point us who know him to see that there's even a greater and deeper need that he meets for us. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he was in his greatest hour of physical need, but rather than saving himself, he gave his life up, didn't he? So that he could meet our great spiritual need. Do I need to say that again? In his greatest hour of physical need, rather than saving himself, he gave up his life so that he could meet our greatest spiritual need. Forgiveness, salvation, peace, unifying us then by his blood and resurrection. He did that out of love for us. We're now in Christ. We're now one body, saved individuals, but part of a body of people. That's what it means, community. So we're not alone. And when we see Christ as our example, when we see him meeting our needs, we can be the church. We can be the church in mutual dependence, meeting one another's needs in a shared life-giving community, driven by God's love too. Now, isn't this great news? It's great news because consider this. God doesn't want us to be alone. Through our salvation in Jesus, he also graciously allows us to have others. He makes us uh, and builds the church community to be, to be really a gift for us to enjoy so we can lean into one another and serve one another. Because he knows we are a people who have needs and are needed. He doesn't want us to be alone. So, for example, the, the single mom who feels all alone at home trying to raise a family, she's not alone. She's got a church family around her. The international student or the student from interstate who's here, you know, they're, they're not alone. There's a church family around them that God wants you to be part of. The person here who just feels isolated, a bit invisible, rejected, well, through Jesus, you're united to this community. You get to have a church family. We share in that together. Now, we might be able to choose the church we go to. You know, people go church hopping and all that. But we can't choose our family. God chooses the people. Now, you might have come to Providence a while ago and you chose a church of people that you got along with. And now you look around like, oh, there's so many people here. I don't know everyone anymore. And I feel that way too. I'll be honest with you. We, we planted, Heidi and I, my wife, we planted Providence eight years ago. And, you know, in our heads, we just thought we'd attract people like us. And the years have gone past, you know, people who, who, who have the same interests and hobbies like us. Wow, God has given us people in this church. It's, it's, I, I love it, <laughs> but they're so different to me in so many different ways, right? Different cultures, different ethnicities, different personalities, different likes and dislikes, different gifts and abilities and talents. Well, you guys are all so different to me. And sometimes it makes you feel a bit lonely. Sometimes it makes you feel a bit like I feel a bit lonely sometimes in this church because not everyone always gets me or shares the same hobbies as me or, or likes the same things as me. 
But then I'm reminded, in these little acts of kindness and love from people here, that I've been gifted with this church family. They might not be like me, but that's a good thing. <laughs> because we're different parts of the same body. And we need each other. Now in, pra- now, in practice, leaning into this one anotherness simply looks like love, doesn't it? I mean, our vision here is loving Jesus and loving one another and loving our world. It's leaning into, each other, in, into that, loving Jesus and loving one another. Practically, let me give you some examples. Practically, what this means is we can't be ashamed to ask one another for help. And I know most of us here grew up in cultures where we've been told to figure it out on your own. Figure it out, be independent, don't ask for help. We're taught not to ask for help because maybe, maybe a parent told you you don't want to owe a debt to anyone, so don't ask for help. We're told not to ask because it makes us look weak. It makes us people laugh at you or take advantage of you. We're told not to ask because you don't want to be a burden to someone else with your problems. You know, the Bible literally says, I think it's Galatians chapter 6. I'll put it on the screen as well for you. It'll carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. That's love, right? Carry each other's needs, essentially. Love is where we share our lives with one another in authenticity and vulnerability. How countercultural is that to, the, to the, the way we were raised? We can lean into each other and ask for help. We won't know if you need help, if you're concealing it or hiding it. How can we help if we aren't aware of that? So don't be ashamed to ask for help. The worst that could happen, people are unavailable. They just can't help. But you know what? I'm so sure if you do ask, at, at the best even as well, people who will be there, they'll pray with you. They'll support you. They'll listen. And that with you, they'll bring your needs before God and encourage you in Christ. That's the most important thing they can do for you. You know, we won't experience this love of Jesus in community unless we're sharing our needs with one another, will we? Now, I hope I don't need to say this, but when we do that, we're not doing it in some sort of entitled, demanding, codependent, unhealthy, sort of toxic way. We can't guilt trip each other to help us, but we can be authentic. We can be authentically human around each other and be honest and be vulnerable. We all have needs. Also know that we are all needed as well. You know, uh, God is self-sufficient. We have needs. We are needed. We receive help and we give help. This isn't a community that revolves around you. It revolves around Christ. And so in our love for one another, generously and kindly offer help to meet needs. Ask how you can pray for that person you're talking to after church today. Ask how you can support them. You're needed as much as the next person, even if you think you have nothing to offer. I really want to push into this idea because there exists in some churches the idea that only the pastor or the church staff is the only one that can do pastoral or gospel work, church work. So people just direct people to me, for example, Mikey, for when there's a burden or issue. I don't know how to end up, talk to Mikey. And we have this, that becomes a culture where the, the pastor is the only one who handles the issues and the members of the church remain passive. Thankfully, it doesn't happen here. But what happens when that happens is we fail to understand the gospel, haven't we? The gospel of love. The church becomes merely observers rather than participants, consumers rather than contributors. If you're here and you identify as a Christian, are you actively loving the church community you're part of? Are you willing to share vulnerably with others 
And are you willing to offer support and love to others too? And if you aren't or aren't yet, maybe ask why. If you have received Jesus into your life, you've been called to actively love and serve your church. And when we do, when we're living out this body of Christ that 1 Corinthians is talking about here, imagine the potential. Wow, I was thinking about the potential. Real life application. Imagine this scenario. You've been asked by your landlord to vacate, to move out. You've, you've got to move out this weekend. So you ask for help. You get on church, the Facebook page, and you ask, is anyone available to lend a hand? And you got responses coming in. Imagine that. Responses from people in your church saying, hey, I can be there in 20 minutes. I've got boxes too. Hey, I've got a ute or a trailer. Let me know the day you're doing the move. Wouldn't that be beautiful? You've got a flat tire. Hey, guys, I'm stranded in, in Annerley. Like, get, does anyone know how to change? This happened. Does anyone know how to change a tire? And someone responds, I'm free. I'll be there. Are we that type of community? Are we that body of Christ living this out? I know we're not living in a village. Some of us live some distance from each other. I know we're super time poor and busy, but we can at least try, can't we? And strive for this. To ask for help and offer help. To accept that we have needs and that we're needed to. Lastly, I want us to understand something about this body of Christ idea. And I, this is... this. I hope this will help you because we need to first accept that we are finite, that we have limitations. At times we feel our capacity. And at times you look around and there are so many needs everywhere. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that makes me feel really overwhelmed because I want to help everywhere. You know, so I open my email inbox and in any given week, there's an organization that's asking for donations to help with children in poverty overseas, for example. Someone texting, asking for volunteers to help out with the homeless. Another email asking uh, for uh, prayer for a missionary. And then I look around church and there are needs. There's, there's a family struggling, someone feeling lonely. There's a couple needing marriage counseling. Another needs prayer. There are needs everywhere all the time. If you've been in church long enough, you'll, you'll see it. You'll hear about it on stage. We'll announce it. There's all these organizations we want to support. There's all these things we could do. And you feel overwhelmed. There are needs everywhere. And I know some of you here deeply love and want to help. I wish I could be there and there and here as well, but I just don't have the time or capacity to do all of it. And it's true. You don't. You're not God. None of us are. We're not the Messiah. We're not Jesus. But here's the beauty, okay? You've got to get this. Here's the beauty of being part of the body of Christ. Together, we're one. That means this. Even though I'm one person, there is someone else here who's donating to that organization, helping kids in poverty. There's another one here who has a passion for social justice, you know, serving the homeless. There's a group of people here who love that family who are struggling, so they've come around and created a roster to help that family. There's someone else here praying for their missionary, there's another faithful older couple here making time for that young couple who needs marriage counseling. I can't be everywhere doing everything, and neither can you. I can't be everywhere doing everything, even though I wish I could. Oh, man, I wish sometimes there were clones of me, Mikey clones. Imagine that. I could do so, I could achieve so much. But together, in mutual dependence, as a body with many parts, it means when one part of the body is serving is serving uh, this area or another area, or well, so am I, in spirit, 
literally in spirit. We're spiritually part of the body of Christ. It means at any given moment, I'm participating in helping with children in poverty overseas or serving the homeless or with that family struggling or with that couple that have marriage issues or with that person who needs prayer. I can say that I'm involved with that because I'm part of the body of Christ who are all on board serving one another here. Do you get that? Do you hear what I'm trying to say? Spiritually, we're one. We're one in Christ, playing our roles in the, in the body, different parts of the same body, one in Christ. Now, that is not an excuse to be passive, right? Seeing someone else do it, okay, they're doing it, I don't need to. Let me be clear. It means, it means you're actively involved where you're needed, with your time, with your gifts, with your abilities, and to accept that you can't be everywhere and everything all at once. It's accepting you need others, this church family, and you're needed too. And together, together as God's church, locally and globally, we care for God's world. We're the hands and the feet that God uses to serve and love others in their needs, imitating and following the shepherd Jesus who met our greatest spiritual need. All right. I mentioned the documentary earlier, right? Live to 100. Secrets of the Blue Zones. I watched the second episode yesterday. And one of the other things that they identify that's shared by these regions that have lots of centenarians is that they not only eat well, exercise, and have community and friendships, but one of the other things that these regions also share is that they have put their hope and faith in a religion, in a god or a god that they worship. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because as a Christian, we've already been given these secrets. Well, maybe not secrets to live to 100, but secrets to human flourishing. The Bible tells me I am finite, and I need God, and I need community. And the good news is God has saved us into a relationship with him, and God has saved us into a new community and family where we have needs and where we're needed. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the all-sufficient God, self-sufficient God, that you're a God who has no needs, that you're not served by human hands, but Lord, you've come in your good pleasure to serve us. You sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin to meet our greatest spiritual need. We're so thankful for that, Lord. Lord, help us as we, uh, as we embrace that and appreciate that, enjoy and love. Help us to move towards one another in love. To those here in the church and to those outside in our world, help us to be a people, Lord, who are your hands and feet. To be part of one body, serving, leaning into each other's needs, sharing our needs and receiving help for our needs. Help us, Lord, to see that. Help us to be one, Lord, in, in, uh, in, convi- in our convictions, in our, uh, in our commitment and in our love uh, for the gospel and love for one another. I do pray this, Lord, uh, that your spirit will help us to do this. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen.